come up with all these other ways to stay at least relevant in the public mind. Raising and lowering an interest rate and calling one or the other doesn't matter what they call it. They could say lowering interest rates is tightening and it wouldn't matter. But as long as they believe, as long as people believe, then that will have some kind of effect. But will it? The moment of truth came, of course, starting in 2007, really August 9th of 2007. We had a monetary breakdown of such major, major capacity, major breakdown across geographical boundaries, across all of these proliferation of offshore products that Greenspan was talking. The euro dollar system finally had its moment of truth. And because the, central, the Federal Reserve is not a central bank, it was unable to fulfill the role of one. And the role of a central bank goes back to Walter Badgett's doctrine going, dating back to the 19th century where he said, lend freely, freely at high rates on good collateral. Well, the, the Fed found it couldn't do any of those things. So it started to come up with all these alternative programs, including one of them, which it named the term auction facility. The term auction facility, along with overseas dollar swaps, again, overseas dollar swaps. Why do they need to be overseas in dollars? Euro dollar breakdown. The TAF was essentially the domestic counterpart of the overseas dollar swaps, which both were, the idea behind both was to replicate the discount window, which nobody was using. Was the TAF auction, were these TAF auctions effective? Well, if you ask the Fed, what they'll say is, yes, they were effective. Here's a study that was done, uh, published at Liberty Street Economics blog, which is the Federal Reserve Branch of New York's uh, mouthpiece, for lack of a better term. This was from 2011. And well, guess what they found? They found that, yes, the TAF auctions actually did help liquidity because they found statistically significant results in the LIBOR OIS spread. What is LIBOR again? The euro dollar rate. So without getting too far into it, here's... Our analysis shows that the LIBOR OIS spread decreased on TAF event days, defined as either days when there was announcement about the program or days when there was a TAF auction or some other operation. We find that the average decrease in the LIBOR OIS spread was about two basis points per TAF event. Did you catch that? Two basis points per TAF event. Now, these are just the TAF auctions in the first part of the global monetary crisis because they wanted to isolate back at a time when there really was only TAF in addition to rate cuts. The rate cuts didn't work either, by the way. There was no stimulation from rate cuts, no easing. And they found that these TAF auctions, which were pretty sizable and substantial at the time, reduced the LIBOR OIS spread by two, count them, two basis points. Didn't really do anything. In fact, as you look at their data, what you can see is that the LIBOR OIS spread fell toward the end of 2007, which they're saying, hey, that was probably the, these auction announcement effects. And then it rose in early 2008, regardless of the TAF auction announcements, because there really is no correlation whatsoever. These things didn't do a damn thing. And they realized that that as the Fed could no longer be lender of last resort, it had to start experimenting with other things. There came to be primary dealer credit facility, there's a money market funds facility, any number of alphabet soup operations which showed conclusively the Fed is not a central bank. You know how we know this? Because there was a 2008 crisis in the first place. Just like the 1930s, there was a Fed and there was a crisis, didn't do its job. But why didn't it do its job? because the monetary system had changed and evolved decades before then. You were just never told about this so as to keep up this interest rate nonsense. 
In the aftermath of the crisis, and really toward the end of the crisis, the Fed realized we can't be lender of last resort. We can't actually lend money into the real economy because, or into the real banking system because we don't know how. We don't even know what money is. So let's do something else. Let's start buying assets. So the Fed shifted from lender of last resort, which is what a central bank is, to what they call market of last resort, which I think is more like a janitor. And the, uh, the, uh, the effects are, simply, are similarly the same. Quantitative easing isn't actually easing. It is this market of last resort purchasing behavior. Now, the QE gets into a lot of different things. I want to strictly focus here on the effect on interest rates because like the TAF auctions, what you see when you look at the Fed study of its own activities, the results are the same. Uh, go to one in New Zealand recently. Studies found that government bond purchases were 10% of GDP have on average lowered 10-year government bond yields by around 50 basis points. 50. 10% of GDP. An absolutely huge QE program. And all you get is 50 basis points lowering the 10-year yield? That's not much. And it gets worse. Uh, a study by the, uh, a fellow by the name of Eric Swanson a couple years ago has been updated several times. Nevertheless, he says, a number of estimates in the literature suggest a $600 billion LSAP, which is QE, large-scale asset purchase, in the U.S., distributed across medium and longer-term treasury securities, leads to a roughly 15 basis point decline in the 10-year treasury yield. $600 billion is bigger than the size of QE, at least when focused, uh, QE2, back in the U.S. When it, in 2010 and 2011, focused on U.S. treasuries, and all they got is 15 basis points. Now, one of the reasons why Mr. Swanson or Dr. Swanson, I don't know, focused on this particular part of it was because he's saying the direct action of purchasing securities doesn't seem to have had an effect on long-term interest rates or anything, or, or anything else for that matter. So what he was saying is that maybe the announcement of the, the, the act of announcing QE had a much more significant effect. It's psychology. If the Fed tells you it's helping, then the Fed is what then telling you that it's helping is enough of a helping effect to create this easing when we see that it's not the case. So let's finish up here by talking about March of 2020. And there's so much more details to go into all the stuff about QE. Again, shameless plug on the membership videos. We went through all the QE stuff. We did this whole series of QE, uh, pulling QE apart and all of its play, it's all of its various parts. Um, but here, March of 2020, what the Fed, there, it, let's, let's talk about another study from the BIS, which was published in October 2021, so a year and a half, a year and a half later. And what they found was that while the thinking in economics in academic circles before then had been that the announcement effect rather than the purchasing effect might have been much bigger, in March of 2020, it all came back to the same simple premise, lack of a central bank. The announcement effect, especially March 15th, when the Fed announced that, remember that Sunday night where they announced this massive QE forever, turbocharged QE6. Well, what they found, at least this study and many others found was that the announcement effect had no effect whatsoever. And the reason was, quoting the study, large purchase effects suggest that treasury sellers had immediate liquidity needs. If liquidity needs do not change as a result of Fed purchase announcements, then asset prices may not fully change until the announced purchases are implemented, especially in situations where 
arbitrage capital is limited. What they're saying is everybody gets 2020 wrong. The reason the treasury market was experiencing so much selling was because of a massive dollar shortage, liquidity needs. Everybody was selling everything they could, including treasuries, because of the dollar shortage, which the Federal Reserve was powerless to do anything about. All the Fed could do was actually was buy bonds, this market of last resort kind of stuff. And it came in and, and bought a lot of bonds and took a credit for ending the financial crisis in March of 2020 when everything shows that wasn't the case. Now I can go, probably need to do a whole show on March of 2020, but again, we had this global dollar crisis that the Fed could not meet as a central bank and instead tried to meet it as this, this asset purchaser of last resort. And what were the results in the real economy? Did it save the real economy? Well, lots of people think it did because when you think about the, how the economy has been characterized over the last year or so, red hot labor market, uh, jobs, labor shortage, all this stuff, wage growth, all of these, these things that have been thrown around that are consistent with this idea that we talked about at the very beginning, that inflation, wages, uh, psychological impacts, expectations, it all sounds consistent. But when you actually examine the data, what you see is that just like 2008, when we were lacking a real central bank to stem that crisis, the economic impacts were felt most dramatically in the labor market. Same thing in 2020 and 2021, 2022, and likely 2023. The labor market never came back. It rebounded, obviously, from the sharp bottom, but it wasn't the same as what the Federal Reserve is trying to sell you. The labor market was exceptionally harmed, not aided, because of, in one part, yes, the pandemic, the restrictions, government destruction of small businesses played a central role here, but also the same types of, types of liquidity fears that manifested after 2008 have been seen right in the labor market in the last several years, too. It's been a repeat. The labor market does not recover from these repeated crises because as a business, you're afraid of liquidity. You know the banking system can't provide it because the banks won't provide it in a situation where they know there is no central bank. You have to be very careful about your own costs as well as liquidity needs too, which means that you don't necessarily hire all the workers that you should, that we need in an economic recovery. You look at the jobs market. Even the establishment survey is barely more than it was in February of 2020. And this is almost three years later. We are missing millions upon millions of jobs. And it's worse than the household survey. So by every, you look at the actual labor market, the labor market has experienced another participation problem, which economists are puzzled to try to figure out. And let's just excuse it and say that this is another recovery when the data shows March of 2020, the Federal Reserve did not save the economy. Not only did it not save the economy, as Jay Powell claimed in November of 2022, it is not going to save the economy. And most people in these markets know it, which is why these curves are so heavily inverted. Everybody is hedged to the maximum because they know what Jay Powell won't admit. 
The Fed is not a central bank, nor is it an effective market of last resort. At best, the Fed is a janitor that comes along with these asset purchases long after the damage has been done to try to clean things up and make them look a little bit better so that in the public we don't recognize the damage for what it actually is. So if you're thinking that the Fed pivot represents some kind of good, good something good here, that the, that the end of rate hikes and the beginning of rate cuts will be somehow positive, got some really bad news for you. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for sticking with me again today. This one's a little bit longer than normal. As always, a huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. Until next time, take care.